0: Good morning again. Um, Excited to have you worshiping with us. And we are continuing to travel in our study one to one find your one this morning. And in that, what I wanted to talk to you about was our desperate need for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week, we finished discussing essentially Jesus. We looked into his death, his resurrection and his promised return. And the main aspect of that that we discovered was this was all part of God's plan that God's plan has not gone awry. And one of the things that I want to encourage us and remind us of is when we look at the cross, when we look at Jesus on the cross, it is easy for the world to begin to think, holy cow, this has gone terribly awry. When we watch Christ suffering on the cross, when we watch him being beaten, uh, bruised, mocked, and obviously suffering, The world around wants to say, this plan obviously isn't working. This plan isn't what should be happening. This plan has obviously failed miserably. But what we have to understand and know is that this plan is God's perfect plan for us. And what we have to realize is that there's a purpose behind the cross, which is you and I this isn't just some display of an individual coming forward to suffer so that we can empathize with him it is a display because we are dead in our sins and desperately in need of a savior we have to remember that the purpose of the cross is god's mission in its entirety the whole aspect the whole good news of the gospel is for us to know that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins, yet Christ died on the cross so that by placing our faith and trust in him, we can have life. That is God's mission. And so this morning, after looking at what we've discovered about Jesus, we're going to essentially look deeper into the mission of Jesus, but we're also going to look at the problem of man. And the reason that I want to bring this up this morning is it is so important for us to recognize our utter need of a Savior. We have to realize that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins and that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to gain approvability to, and I'll put God or the gods or to Mecca or toward you know, ascending into a greater realm or whatever it might be we cannot do it on our own. And the reason that I want to take some time and go over that with us, but also when we're talking to individuals about the gospel, is if they do not understand their desperate need, they will not be able to authentically worship the God who is, and understand why Christ went to the cross. I've said before, Jesus didn't die on a cross to make good people better. Jesus died on a cross to make dead people alive. And what we have to recognize is the great cost that the cross took for our Lord and Savior Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be looking and we're going to ask this question. What was the mission of Jesus and why is it needed? Now, this is important to recognize because oftentimes we will talk about the mission of Jesus. We'll say Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. He died on it, et cetera, et cetera. But what we'll do is is we will take that and we will minimize our need of him. We will minimize why Christ went to the cross. And brothers and sisters that are gathered here this morning, unless we understand that the whole purpose as to why Christ went to the cross was to give us life because we are dead apart from Christ in our sins, the meaning of the cross becomes muddied. It becomes varied. It becomes purposeless. But when we recognize that apart from Jesus, apart from the cross, we have no means to God And yet it is because of what God has done by giving us his son. When we come to him, our worship of him is wholly authentic and real. I want to take a minute, and I just want to go back to you. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I think it's important. Um, Several years ago, when I was in college, uh, I was part of a fraternity. Uh, We did a lot of fraternity things, and we did a lot of non-fraternity things. And what I remember was one evening, we were sitting in our, uh, basically our cafeteria or our kitchen, and one fraternity brother came down and said, hey, I have an announcement to make. I need to tell you guys something. And Brian had essentially uh, found the Lord, He had found the Lord through a uh, group called Disciple Makers. And what he was doing was he was coming down to encourage us and to tell us the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what I will tell you is this was before I knew Jesus and what I can say and what I remember of this distinctly was the change that I saw in Brian. His trajectory was different. His life had changed. He was no longer who he was as fraternity brother Brian. He was different. Now, what I will tell you is this: After Brian got done, I looked. I looked at my friend and I said, "Dude, that guy's crazy. I don't know what's going on, but you know, God bless him, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And what he had done is he had come to share the gospel with us and to tell us how his life had been changed and how he cared for us and how he loved us. But because of that, he was going to move himself out of the house into another area, but he would still come down and hang out with us. The purpose was God made a change in his life. And so I want to bring this up to all of us. I want to ask you a question. In coming to Christ, is the trajectory of your life different than it was before? Or is it the same? Have you essentially brought Christ into your agenda? and said, God, this is my agenda, this is my life, this is the direction that I'm gonna go, and sure, if you want to come and be part of it, that's fine, but you're gonna get on my bus and we're gonna go to the direction that I want to go and we're gonna head in the area that I want to be. Or in coming to Christ, have you completely gotten off of that bus and gotten onto an entirely new one and sat and said, God, you take the wheel? This is your life for me. And my life is to bring glory and honor to your name. I'm gonna start off with a quote and we're gonna kinda dive a little bit deeper into this. Dr. Robert Lewis in this one to one says, being a Christian is more than mere passive acknowledgement of the existence of God. And I wanna pause on that for a minute. Now, I'm not saying that all of us have to become pastors. I'm not saying that your trajectory needs to be mine. We all are different. God has gifted us differently. He gives us different abilities, different passions, and different means to go out and share the gospel with other people. To be honest with you, you have a better opportunity at sharing the gospel with people than I do. Because the moment that people discover that I'm a pastor, they clam up. You guys have the opportunity with friends and relationships and interactions in your jobs, at school, with the people that you hang out with, in your golf league, in your sewing groups, in your scrapbook uh, groups, in your businesses, whatever it might be, to share the gospel with people. But what I want to ask you is this, what if somebody comes to you and they say, I want to hear about God, and you kind of look at them and you're like, yeah, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yep. Well, tell me about him. Tell me about why on Sunday do you get up and go to that place that on Wednesday was an ice skating rink and I saw the pastor out there doing donuts in the car. Why? What's the reason? And lovingly, what I want to tell you is if you're passively giving This, oh, I kind of go to church just because I go to church and that's what we do, and I don't know, I just kind of done it because that's what we've always done. What are they going to say? Brothers and sisters, being a Christian is more than a passive acknowledgement of the existence of God. And it's also more than having had some momentary spiritual experience. I say this lovingly, and yes, I'm all about the prayer of salvation, and yes, it is important to recognize that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But what I'm going to tell you is this, if someone comes to me and they say, I'm struggling to know if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, my first question isn't going to be well, have you prayed the prayer of salvation? My first question is going to be well, let's look at your life. How is it different Has your life changed? Is there something in the trajectory of it that is now not for you, but for God? Let's look at the fruit. And therein lies the evidence right there, plain and simple. Now, not minimizing the prayer. Brothers and sisters, a prayer in and of itself is not the evidence that indeed we have been born again. The evidence is a changed life, a changed life. Trajectory that once was for us and now is entirely for God. Jesus stated emphatically to those around him that they must believe in him. So number one, do you believe in him? But number two, watch this, deny themselves. And what I want to say, and one of the things that I want to, to lovingly encourage, and it's interesting that Keith brought this up earlier, we are so blessed in the Western church and particularly in America that we don't have to do a lot of denying of self. Now, I don't think God is looking at that and saying, well, that's you know your problem, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what I want to ask is this: are we denying ourself? How are we denying self? What might that look like? And again, is it all about us? Is it all about God, come into my life so that I can do what I want, how I want, and when I want, and bless it? Or is it, God, you've died for me. My life is yours. Do with it as you will. How are we denying ourselves for him? How are we losing our life for his sake, in order to become his followers. When we look at the change of the individuals who followed Jesus, their lives were drastically, dramatically different from before they knew Christ to when they had come into an encounter with Christ. Jesus himself calls us to pick up our cross and what? Follow him. And so what I want to ask you, first and foremost, is this. Is Christ a sideshow to your life? An adage, an appendage, something that you rely upon when you need it, but when all is well, you set it aside? Or is Christ at the core of your life, your very essence, your very being? This was a radical call for the drastic reordering of one's life around him who claimed to be truth and life. And so lovingly, what I want to ask you is, has your life dramatically or radically changed? Is it different? After having come to know Jesus, would someone look at you and say, there is a noticeable difference about said person about trevor or about whomever and they are different and hopefully that difference is pointing toward the cross toward jesus toward his kingdom toward his glory toward his majesty and not toward self or uh, self-exaltation or self-indulgence So the first thing that we have to ask is, are our lives different? Because the mission of Jesus was to bring about a radical change in our life when we recognize that we are dead in our sins and apart from God, we have no means to eternal life. And so when we look and we discover the mission, there's two things that I want to show you in this. We're gonna discover that the mission of Jesus was too prompt. There are sort of two essential core elements to this. And the first is is that Jesus Christ entered history to give us life. Brothers and sisters, we have to encourage and let people know that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins and we desperately need Jesus in our life. And I will be honest with you, this is probably the point where you're going to be talking with individuals where it will become the most offensive comment that you will make to an individual. Most of them will say, well, what do you mean? I'm fine, I'm a good person, I do good things. I'm better than that person over there. I do this, I've done that, at least I haven't done those things. I've done this, I've made these things. I'm better than that person. And the problem is, Because until we understand that we're all dead in our sin, none of that matters. And one of the things that I would say is think about this for a minute. If Jesus died on a cross to make good people better, then I don't know about you, but the cross to me is utter lunacy. Why would a God sacrifice his one and only son in such a wretched way just to improve upon what's already good. But if, if in fact, Christ gave his one and only Son, which has been the mission of God, because the people whom he created and loved have no means back to him in and of themselves, and so in the ultimate expression of love, The Father says, go son, and die upon a cross, being beaten, bruised, martyred, and mocked by the very people whom you've created. And the Son says, willingly, not my will, but thy will be done. That draws us to a heart of worship. Christ entered to give us life. We see in John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So there's two things that I want to show you. Number one, recognize that the purpose of Jesus is to come that we might have life. What does that mean? Well, in order to have life, we must be what? so if we already have life if we already are good jesus never would have said i have come that they may have life he would say i have come to improve the life that already exists i have come to better the life that is already there i have come to make good people better But he emphatically says, I have come that they may have life. Meaning that apart from Christ we are dead in our sins. But also recognize and have it to the full. So here's the other side of this. You have life and you've been granted life entirely and totally through Jesus Christ. You need not go anywhere else. It's not that Jesus died on a cross to resuscitate you to 50% and then after that, it is your job to bring about the other 50% to get yourself to 100% of life. It is 100% God's action and God's work. And we are 100% dead and Jesus is 100% the cure. And when we come to Christ, what we celebrate is the fact that we have been given eternal life with God in his kingdom as adopted sons or daughters in the kingdom with full rights and privileges that we will have throughout eternity in heaven. You are 100% a child of the living king. And when we realize that and when we look at that and when we see that and we understand it, it draws our heart to a deeper sense of worship. But the other side of this that I want to encourage you in is this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Can I lovingly ask somebody something? How are we displaying this fullness of life in our daily living with Jesus Christ? Sometimes I look around and I see, even in myself, I'm guilty of this, some of these days, this OEO, you know, the world's in trouble, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what's going on? Uh, we've got to keep kind of moving forward. I don't know what's going to happen. And people kind of look around, and they see a deflated individual. And yet, we've been given life to the full. And so here's the thing that I think would be so powerful within the church is that in those moments of challenge, in those moments of struggle, in those moments of the unknown, in those moments where all looks to go awry, we are able to say, God is the one who is sovereignly in control and God is working all things new for his glory, his honor, and his name's sake. Praise be to God, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And therein lies the difference. People would look and they would say, how, how can you go through whatever it might be that you're going through and you can say, I have no idea, but I know God is there and he carries me or he will draw me through. The other thing is, are you enjoying, remember this? I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Are you enjoying your life with Christ? Like, do you get up in the morning and you're like, man, this is awesome, I have a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the maker of heaven and earth? Or is it kind of a tick off the box, I gotta get this done, I gotta do this, I gotta get my quiet time done, or I gotta get my prayer done, or oh, I gotta do this, just so that God will approve me. Having life in the full is enjoyment in the journey. Having life in the full is enjoying what God is doing or not doing and trusting that his plan is working and moving. The next thing I want to show you in 1 John 5, 11 through 12 is this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. There's the news. God has given us, past tense, eternal life. So I want to pause on this for a minute. It's not God could give us, God might give us, God will give us, God is thinking about giving us. It's past tense, conclusory in it. Done, signed, sealed, and delivered. God has given us eternal life. That's what you get. But notice where it comes from. And this life, referring back to what's being stated, is in his son. So the other thing that we have to recognize is that life with God can only be found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's reiterated by the statement, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And so a loving question to you this morning, do you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior in your life? And another question, if you do, how has God changed the trajectory of your life? What is the difference? How has your life changed? Jesus Christ entered history to give us life, but also Jesus Christ entered history to save us from our sins. The purpose why Christ came was because we are dead in our sins and in need of a Savior. We look at Luke 19 9 through 10. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. What's lost? You and I, mankind, separated from God because of our sins. And what does Jesus come to do? He comes to seek and to save. Meaning God is the one who is pursuing. God is the one who is acting. God is the one who is desiring. God is the one who is moving. God is the one who is inviting. And why is he doing that? It's to save us from a life apart from him. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16 says, Here is a trustworthy saying, that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience and his example for those who would believe on him and have eternal life And I love this statement because there's so much inside of it. First and foremost, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There's a recognition that the purpose of what Christ has done is to save us from our sin. And so lovingly, what I want to ask you is, have you recognized that Christ's mission on the cross is to save you and I from our sin? of which we can't do it ourselves, that's number one. But then also watch this, of whom I am the worst. I love that, of whom I am the worst. Can, can I ask a question, is anybody willing to go out there and go before God and say, you know what, I am the vilest of the vile, I am a sinner? Anybody? Can I lovingly tell you that all of our hands should go up because no sin is different than the other and we all are dead in our sins in desperate need of a Savior. And the reason that I love this is so often what we do is we look and we say, you know what, I've got this issue but look at that dude over there. Man, if anybody needs more saving, it's him or her. So Jesus died and kind of saved me for this part, but holy cow, man, when they went over to old Joe or they went over to old Sue, man, he really must have had to work on that one. By the way, if you're Joe or Sue, that wasn't intended. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, when we look at this and we realize, of whom I am the worst, there is a full recognition of the salvation that Christ has done and the recognition of the need of salvation in the individual. And brothers and sisters, what I want to tell you is this. The further that we get into our relationship with Jesus Christ, the deeper we go with him, the more we should recognize our utter sin and our ugliness, yet the beauty and the mercy and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It should be less of us and more of him. And then watch this. But for that very reason... That very reason, I'm a sinner in the need of a savior. I am the very worst. I was shown mercy. Shown mercy. What is mercy? I didn't deserve it. I deserve something else. Mercy is when you deserve a penalty for something that you have done. That penalty is there, and for lack of a better word, the judge says, This is what you're due, this is what you're owed, but I'm going to show mercy to you, and you are no longer due that penalty. What do we do? We are due death apart from God. What are we given? Mercy, even though we deserve life apart from God, because of what Christ has done, we now are given eternal life. You're due this penalty, you're guilty of it, but I'm showing you mercy and you have eternal life. And not only do you have eternal life, you are adopted as a son or daughter into God's kingdom with full rights and privileges. And then the reiteration. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus may display his unlimited patience. Stop there for a minute. How many of you are patient? Okay, I'm not raising my hand, I'm just asking. Is anybody patient? My patience, as I think about God's patience with me, as I think about my patience with my children, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about the unlimited patience of God. Praise God that God was patient enough with me that when in my junior year, after losing a friend to suicide, I turned to God and yelled, I want nothing to do with you. And I meant it. And yet, in God's mercy and His patience and His love and His grace and His plan, He revealed his greatness to me, and praise God that on that day God did not say, fine, I'm done. That Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience and as, as, excuse me, as an example, for those who would believe on him and have eternal life. When people look and when people see and they see Christ at the center core of your life, that what you do is for him, they begin to look and say, that is something that I want to know, that is something that I want to see, that is something that I want to have. And so lovingly, brothers and sisters, what I want to ask you is this. Do we recognize that we need to be saved from our sin? Do we realize that we are the worst of sinners? Do we also recognize that mercy has been shown to us through Jesus Christ? And do we also recognize that the purpose for that is not so that we can exalt ourselves above other people, but that we can bring glory and honor to God's name? the mission of Jesus was two-pronged. Christ entered history to give us life. Christ entered history to save us from our sins. And that in that, when we realize what truly God has done, our lives turn to bring glory and honor to him. Now, why is this? I said earlier, the main reason that Christ has done this and the main reason for the mission of Jesus being two-pronged, it's because we are sinners in need of a savior. And for a lot of us, that can sound redundant. A lot of us, we can say, yes, I get that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, but the reason that I'm dwelling on this is for us to recognize that we all are in need of a savior and it is all God's work on the cross to bring about eternal life. Because too often, we can become sort of prideful in ourselves, prideful in our accomplishments, prideful in our abilities, and what can happen there is, is we can begin to minimize the work of the cross in our lives and the importance of the gospel. And what people need to see is God working through us, not us exemplifying ourselves as to how great we are as following Jesus. Dr. Lewis says, "The Bible affirms our universal propensity towards independence or sin. If you look at the story of the scriptures, if you look at the story of the people of God, particularly in the Old Testament, what do we see? We see a rinse, wash, repeat of God coming and dwelling with his people, bringing about a connectivity with them, and then them saying, this is fine, but we want more turning to their own desires, turning to their own wants, their own needs, and getting into a mess. God comes and does it again and helps them back out. And for a little while, things seem to be going okay. But people turn and they say, well, we're fine. We can do it better than what you've planned, God. We want a little bit of you, but we want to remain independent. We still want to have our own doing. And how does that work out for them? Not very good. And yet in God's perfect plan, he works it and brings about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to die on a cross to bring about ultimate restoration for those who would place their faith and trust in him. And so one of the things that I want to ask you is, if we trust the Bible, if we see it as God's word, if we realize that it's God's revelation to us, if we recognize that we are sinners, if we recognize that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and then we realize that the Bible is essentially talking about the universal propensity toward our desire for independence and the cure from it, after having come to Jesus Christ, why would we want to continue to live independent lives from him? Why would we say, I want Jesus here, but not there? I want salvation, but not Jesus as Lord of my life. There is the continued desire for independence, which in its essence is sin. And so lovingly, brothers and sisters in Christ, what I'm telling you is that if we're saying, Jesus, save me from my destiny, but do not be Lord of my life, we are still wanting to remain independent from him. And so in that, lovingly, what I want to ask is what areas of independence are you holding on to? And what areas do you need to give to him in an act of worship? In Isaiah 53, six, prior to Jesus coming, a statement is made, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Okay, so, bottom line, everybody here, myself included, we all have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. Notice the act of independence. Notice the desire to live apart from God. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what has God done? Because of our desire for independence, for our desire to go our own way, living independently from God, God comes in the ultimate expression of love and does what? Lays on him. Who's the him? Jesus. So this is the other thing that I love. In my desire... This is what I, what I look back to. In my desire to live independently from God in anger when I lost my friend to suicide, and I said, I want nothing more to do with you. What did God do? He took that and he laid it on Jesus so that I could have eternal life. That's love. That's the patience of God. And he didn't do just that for me. Notice that it says, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. So whatever act of independence you still hold on to, whatever desire for independence you still have, That's been placed on Jesus. And Jesus has taken it so that you no longer have to be independent from God, but you can be wholly relational with God as a son or daughter of a living king. Now, the next thing, just so that we're clear, I think we know it well, but Romans 3.23, just in case Any one of us says, yeah, that message might be for that person, but it's certainly not for me. I just want to remind us all, as Paul so eloquently states, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why? When we come to worship God, when we come to worship Jesus, and we recognize and realize that none of us here are good enough to go before God in our own right. None of us have come to church enough. None of us are educated enough. None of us do good things enough. All of those things are great, they're acts of worship. When we look around at one another, okay? Look around at one another. Don't look at me, look around. Take a look, turn around. Come on, people, look around, okay? Say hi, right? We are all on the same playing field. We are all apart from Jesus Christ, dead in our sin. And the unifying factor that brings us together is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died on a cross to give us life. And so when we look at one another, when we see one another, we see a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And we see someone who is being worked on by God through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit being molded and shaped into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so lovingly when we look at a Kansas City Chiefs fan (laughs) who God bless you can now tout their championship for the next year to come I don't look onto the eyes of an enemy I look onto the eyes of a brother or sister in Jesus Christ who has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And I know that's a joke, I'm talking about Kansas City. But let's take that further. When we look at one another, yes we have differences. When we look at one another, yes we have different backgrounds. When we look at one another, yes we may have different political opinions. When we look at one another, we might have different ethnicities, right? But what unites the church? Jesus. And that's why today we gather here this morning at Faith Bible Church in Penora, Iowa, yet Christians around the town, around the state, around our country, as well as around the world, and across the centuries, come together to worship one King who is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the reason is because every single one of them have fallen short of the glory of God. And yet Christ died on the cross to lay the iniquity of us all on his shoulders. Uh, Dr. Lewis kind of says this, um, and I would encourage you, if you have some time, to look particularly at these verses. In Genesis 3, 6 through 12, what we see in the act of Adam and Eve after they've sinned in the garden and the relationship that they have with God, the following things occurring. We see a death of transparency with Adam and Eve as they hide themselves from God. Before they walked with God, before they had relationship with him, before they were not afraid of him, and yet afterwards we see them avoiding God We see the death of intimacy as they become alienated from God. And as a result of this sinfulness, God has to separate himself from the sinner, ushering in death that has been exemplified above. A death that is marked by such things as fear, guilt, blame, aimlessness, frustration, uh, frustration and enslaving habits. It was because of this death. Because of this death and our helplessness to affect a solution. Stop there for a minute. It was because of this death and our, what? Helplessness. Our utter inability to affect a solution that Jesus entered into history proclaiming I have come so that they may have life. You and I are the they. And Jesus is the reason that he's come. So, one of the things that I want to encourage you in, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is when you go to talk to people, when you go to speak to them about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, ask them about their fears. Ask them about guilt that they might have. Ask them about blame that they may have on themselves or blame on other people. Ask them about aimlessness. What's the purpose of life? What's going on? Are we here to eat, drink, and marry, be married because tomorrow we die? Why do I feel so purposeless in my life? These are all great questions to ask people. Talk to them about their frustrations. I don't know about you, but as I look around the world, would anybody say, that the world's frustrated right now? It's a perfect time to go and talk to people and say, why are you so frustrated? Why are you so angry? Why are you so aimless? Why are you so guilt-ridden? Recognizing that we too once were apart from Jesus Christ. It's a perfect opener to individuals to talk about spiritual things. And then to turn them and help them to see that yes, life apart from Christ is aimless, it is fearful, it is purposeless. And apart from him, we're helpless. But the good news is, we have a savior who has come to give us life. This morning we've kind of looked at a few things. We've seen what is the mission of Jesus and why is it needed. We've seen that the mission of Jesus was two-pronged. We've also recognized that the reason this mission of Jesus was two-pronged is because we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so the final thing, obviously, that I want to leave with you is is that Jesus' mission is to give us life as we are sinners in need of a Savior. This is, from the get-go, the entire purpose of the gospel. This is core to the Christian faith. And so lovingly, may we rejoice in the life that God has given, but also as we go out and we tell other people about Jesus, please help them to see their utter need of a savior. Please help them to see what Christ has done. Please help them to see why we desperately need a savior and the joy that we can have in him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we just thank you. We thank you for what Christ has done. We also thank you for the full recognition uh, that apart from you, we have nothing. We are literally dead in our sins. Father, uh, for some, that might be quite concerning. For some, uh, with the pride within, that might cause us to become frustrated or angered. But also, Father, thank you to realize that God was willing to give his one and only son so that we might have life through the cross. And not only do we have life, but we have life in the full. The cross is complete. It is whole. Christ's death, his resurrection from the grave, his ascension into heaven, and his promised return are all signed, sealed, and delivered. So we need not live in fear. We need not live in wonder. We need not live in incompleteness. But rather, we have been made complete by the one who is wholly complete, our Savior Jesus Christ. And for that, we give you thanks. We do pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and all God's people say,